All right. This is Victoria, producer for The Felon File, a podcast on law enforcement history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains of the United States and beyond. Listen to in 39 countries around the world. Scott Lunsford hosts The Felon File. Scott is a retired American police sergeant with over 34 years of public service as an officer, detective and supervisor in youth services and sexual assault investigation. He has been a uniformed supervisor in Asheville, North Carolina and Numbeth School Resource Officers Unit, a patrol forensic tech, a patrol officer, a patrol supervisor, law enforcement instructor, and a hostage negotiation team and critical incident response team member. Scott still works part-time locally as a school resource officer. Background and through purpleplanet.com. Scott, stand by to switch. Bill Bailey, won't you please come home? Sung by Arthur Collins. Won't you come home, Bill Bailey, won't you? Come home, she moans the whole day long. I'll do the cooking, darling, I'll pay the rent. Greetings and salutations from the International Podcasting Studio here at Scratch Ankle, North Carolina. West of the city of Asheville, east of Canton, and make a left at Inca, and there you'll find us. And today, as Victoria said, we're going to have another shade of blue story here on Felon File. Victoria is quite correct. We are a podcast that looks at crime and punishment, law enforcement issues, the good guys, the bad guys, the stuff that has happened recently, and a lot of the stuff that's happened in the past. And we like to go back and look at some of the history and see what was going on in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond related to law enforcement. At least I forget, thank you, Victoria, for starting us out and running the control board for us. Now, we're going to talk about Bailey. There is the comic strip, Beetle Bailey. The 1902 jazz standard, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey, which you may have heard a bit on the opening credits there. Here are the mountains of the Blue Ridge. There is Bailey Mountain in Mars Hill, North Carolina. Climbed that mountain several times. And of course, there's the world-known Bailey Mountain Cloggers, a clogging dance team from Mars Hill College, also here in Western North Carolina. Closer to home, there's my daughter-in-law, the beautiful and talented Bailey. Now, according to storyteller, Mr. Bob Terrell, at the time he was a writer for the Asheville Citizen Times, and also according to another historian and writer, Wilma Dykeman, and numerous reporters from many different newspapers in the South and even up North during the 1920s and 1930s. Their focus was on another Bailey, Jesse James Bailey, former sheriff here in Western North Carolina in the 1920s. Now, in 1970, everybody pretty much knew Jesse James Bailey, public servant. He was a humorist, an after-dinner speaker, a railroad detective, and a friend of just about anybody he'd met. If you had the opportunity to meet Sheriff Bailey, 
you would remember him for a long, long time. Jesse James Bailey was 82 years old when he sat down with Mr. Bob Terrell for an interview. Sheriff Bailey is the only person in the state of North Carolina to serve as sheriff in two separate counties, two separate dates. At one point, he was sheriff of Madison County, North Carolina, and at another point, he was sheriff of Buncombe County. Now, there's quite a bit of information on file on Mr. Jesse James Bailey, the former sheriff. The University of North Carolina, as well as the state archives, have several files, stacks of documents, personal papers that have been donated over the years, and other things that refer to Sheriff Bailey. It takes a lot of work to get access to all of these files and to go over them, because there's quite a lot of information that's actually stored in a very small area, but it's very much worth it. Sheriff Bailey, unfortunately, passed away in December of 1980. But as they say, a legend never dies. And if that's the case, Jesse James Bailey will probably live forever. The stories of Sheriff Bailey are not only documented in the newspapers of his day, the famous author, like I said, Wilma Dykeman, who the Four Mile Greenway Trail in Asheville is named for along the French Broad River, wrote about Bailey in her book titled The French Broad, a book I highly recommend you pick up and read. It was written back in 1955, I believe, or that's when it was published. Not only was Bailey twice a county sheriff in two different counties, the only one in the state of North Carolina to be so, he worked 52 years as a detective with Southern Railway. His life has been very interesting, to say the least. Most people, when they hear of Jesse James Bailey, a lot of them assume that he was named after the famous outlaw, Jesse James from the Old West. It's a decent assumption and a little bit of irony to think the sheriff was named after notorious outlaw, but it's not true. In actuality, Jesse James Bailey was named for his two grandfathers, James Jefferson Bailey and Jess Hensley. Now, it's recorded in many places the story that Sheriff Bailey liked to tell about his name and how his name came to be. The story involves his father, of course. Now, back in the day, they had circuit rider preachers who would ride through the country preaching and selling Bibles. They carried their own Bible around as a sample, and they convinced several people to buy them. When they did make a sale, the preacher would make arrangements and either send the Bible to the person that purchased it by postal, or on his next circuit riding through the, that particular community, he'd bring it with them and deliver it personally. Well, along about a week after Jesse James Bailey was born, this is according to Sheriff Bailey himself, he says, my father was out working in his field one day, and this minister came riding by. Came up the river and seeing the father working in the field, he rode over and they had a good conversation. Now visitors were at that time and that far back out in the, the country were far in between. And it was quite common. If somebody did stop by, you took advantage to have the visit and conversation. Father Bailey was no different. 
and he was happy to take some time to speak with the preacher. After a little bit, the preacher told him you know, who he was and what he did, and he said, my friend, talking to, talking to Father Bailey, wouldn't you like to have a new illustrated Bible? Well, apparently Father Bailey was known for his good-natured tricks and jokes on people. Given this was no exception, and he proceeded to tell the preacher that he had never seen or read from a Bible. Well, this baffled the circuit rider preacher somewhat, and he said, my friend, you don't mean to say you've never heard of the Bible? Well, Mr. Bailey said no, shook his head, I've just got one book, and that's not it. Well, curious, the preacher inquired, well, what is the book that you have if it's not the Bible? Now, realizing he had the circuit riding preacher and Bible salesman hooked, Bailey's father continued, It's a life of the James boys, Bailey's father told him. Well, the preacher looked at him and said, Well, I'll make you a simple proposition, my friend. I want to leave this here Bible with you, and you read it. And if you don't like it better than the James brothers, you can give it back to me when I come through again. And if you do like it better, you can buy it from me, and I'll let you keep it. Now, ain't that a fair enough trade? Well, Jesse James' father, Father Bailey, said apparently it was, and he couldn't pass up such a proposition and decided to take the Bible. The preacher left the Bible with the man and rode off on his way looking for his next customer and his next sermon to give. Now, about a month later, he rode back through the area, making it a point to stop at the Bailey farm. Once more finding Mr. Bailey in the field, he approached him and said, Well, how did you like the Bible, Mr. Bailey? Did you get a chance to read any? Uh, Father Bailey shook his head and said, Yes, yes, I read a good bit. Well, did you like it as well as your James Boy's book? Well, Father Bailey grinned and shook his head. Well, I'll tell you what. I used to think them James boys were some heck of fighters. Just about the best anywhere. But after reading that Bible of yours, I seen they couldn't hold a candle to Samson and those Phillips boys. Referring, of course, to the Philistines. Now, at this point in the story, Jesse James Bailey would point out, quote, So I reckon if I'd been born the week after, instead of the week before the preacher came, I'd have been named... Samson Philip Bailey instead of Jesse James Bailey. And he'd always end that story with a big hearty laugh. And there are a few recordings of the sheriff telling that particular story that are floating around out there. Now, in all of his stories, Sheriff Bailey was most proud of and enjoyed talking about the time that he spent as sheriff of Madison County. Bailey was elected sheriff in 1920. And at a time when Madison County was referred to as Bloody Madison. And he would explain that Marshall was the county seat, and it was right on the French Broad River. With the river on one side, mountains on the other, he would refer to it as the town that's a block wide, a mile long, sky high, and hell deep. Bailey stated that he started the idea of running for sheriff back in 1896. Well, if you do the math, you'll notice that 
Sheriff Bailey was eight years old at that time. He goes on to say, One night, about dark, Sheriff White and a posse of deputies came up on the Bailey farm along the French Broad River looking for a wanted man. The sheriff came inside and spent some time talking to Bailey's father for a few minutes, telling him who he was after, what he looked like, how to get word to him if he saw the subject, and what to do if he did. Now, when the sheriff got back out on his horse, he had apparently his pistol in his pocket instead of wearing it in a holster. And nobody noticed it fall to the ground in the dark. But Father Bailey found it the next day. Sheriff Bailey tells that he thought it was the prettiest pistol I ever saw. Big, shiny pistol, and that's when he decided that right then and there, again, he was eight years old, that he wanted to be a lawman. If for nothing else, so he could carry a pistol just like that. So in 1920, when he ran for office, he'd been working about 14 years for the railroad as a telegraph operator, which is interesting since he only graduated the fourth grade in school. But he got a leave of absence and ran for sheriff because he remembered that pistol, he says. My opponent, a former sheriff, had been light on the liquor laws. He was quoted, I'd never drunk a drop in my life and still haven't. But I decided I wasn't going to be too hard on the moonshiners there in Madison County. So he went out in the bushes and brush and back countries to campaign and politic and told many of them, Now boys, I won't be too hard on you unless you put your stills out there in the roadway where I can stub my toe on them. Well, basically they told him, Well, Bailey, we know that this other man, we know what he will do. And we don't know what you'll do. So we've got to support him for our own good. And they did. But the dry people, the non-drinkers of the county, elected him, and they expected him to dry the county up overnight. And of course, he couldn't do that. But he did point out that he was able to raise the price of a gallon of liquor from $15 to $75, making it scarce and harder to get. Now, unknown to Sheriff Bailey, events that had occurred way before he was elected to the office led to some very serious trouble he had with a group of young men, or two brothers, as a matter of fact, called the Massey Boys, M-A-S-S-E-Y. And it ended up in the killing of a gentleman by the name of Lorenzo Farmer, one of Bailey's deputies. Small county sheriffs took their job very seriously, and they still do. The sheriff wore his pistol on his hip, and he had to be ready to use it when it was needed. Now, we've talked about in previous Shades of Blue stories and podcasts here on Felon File. We've talked about probation and moonshining and blockaders. When Sheriff Bailey was elected, he was at the height of the prohibition. The Volstead Act was only a year old and moonshiners placed a great value in their remote operations. Now also keep in mind this was a time frame when the small country roads were really primitive. Many times Sheriff Bailey would have to go on foot or take a horse to take or take advantage of the train that went through the center of the county to get to where he was needed. There was a road from Marshall to Mars Hill 
and a few other pathways that a motor vehicle could navigate. But most of Sheriff Bailey's calls for service and investigations were usually to be found in the backwoods and the more reclusive sections of the county. His clashes with Jesse and Doyle Massey, who were the sons of Red Jim Massey of the Little Pine section here in Madison County, are legend there in the county. The stories can be found in public record, court documents, newspapers, and in stories and tales passed down from one generation to the next. And I've spoken to uh, relatives of the Massey boys who are who still live in the area. And I actually went to school with several of, of these family members. Now, before you look at the story, you must understand how Jesse James Bailey came to be sheriff and why he waged war on Madison County blockaders and moonshiners. There is one story told. When Doyle Massey was indicted for killing a man named Harrison Roberts, this was before Jesse James Bailey was elected. And when he went into office, Doyle Massey was still at large. One of his deputies captured old Doyle Massey at gunpoint with another deputy by the name of Roberts' help, with the help of Harrison Roberts. And that incident later led to the killing of uh, Mr. Harrison Roberts. Soon after elected, Bailey was tipped off that Doyle Massey was back there on Little Pine. And the sheriff immediately put together a plan to see if he could capture him. On a Saturday, Bailey took a deputy by the name of Wolford Tweed into the Little Pine section and made an open search for Doyle. Now, when the search proved to be fruitless, the sheriff and the deputy left, or at least so they gave the impression. Deputy Tweed hid in some thick undergrowth on the side of the road, not too far away from the Massey homestead, and set up a vigil for Doyle Massey. He remained there until about Monday afternoon. Two days. A Mr. Farmer who lived nearby the Masseys, uh, and lived near where the observation was going on, he knew Tweed was there, been told so by Sheriff Bailey, and his wife, on the pretense of picking blackberries, carried food out to Tweed to make sure he could stay hid. Now that Monday, at about 2 p.m., Doyle Massey and a fellow named Hiram Grooms, and I also went to school with some of his relatives, came along. Bailey related that Doyle was armed with a shotgun. Tweed let them pass, then stepped out onto the road after they did so and ordered Doyle to throw down his gun. Well, Doyle just ran. Deputy Tweed, who had his shotgun, just opened fire with it and let Massey have both barrels into the lower backside. He put some 50-some pellets into Doyle, according to the report Bailey gave. Shot him right in the tail. Tweed ran down to the wounded man and said, Doyle, you okay? Are you hurt? And Doyle rolled over and said, Yes, damn it, I'm killed. Tweed rolled Doyle over to check out his wounds, and that's when he saw a big plug of chewing tobacco in Doyle's hip pocket, not wanting to waste an opportunity, considering, too, he had been holed up on his 
stakeout for two days. Tweed looked at Doyle and said, Doyle, I'm going to take a chew of your tobacco. Well, this upset Doyle a little bit and says, you pretty SOB shooting a man's butt off and then ask him for a chew of his tobacco. Well, after the argument over the tobacco was over with, Tweed brought Doyle into Marshall in Farmer's buggy where the shot was picked out and Doyle's backside was painted with iodine. Doyle stayed in jail until Red Jim, his daddy, who owned the sawmill and the lumber camp nearby, raised about $4,000 bail and got his son out. $4,000, 1920s. That's a lot of money. Things between the Masseys, Bailey, and the farmer got worse that winter, and in February, the farmer's barn was burned to the ground. Bailey and his one of his deputies, Frank Jordan, ran the Massey boys down for the fire and ended up arresting him and putting both of them in jail again. A once more under a $4,000 bond secured. And once more, Daddy Red Jim, with the help of some others, raised the money and got his boys out. This put Doyle under an $8,000 secured bond and Jesse under a $4,000 secured bond. The week before their trial was scheduled, Bailey reported that a still had been located by some neighbors in the woods up above Jesse Massey's house. Sheriff Bailey says that, that once more in the undercover of darkness, they took up positions around the still about two o'clock in the morning. On the morning of August 2nd, 1921, Sheriff Bailey and Frank Payne and Deputy Farmer went in hiding, hoping to catch the men at the act. And he said, that's the way you had to work to catch moonshiners. You had to sneak in before it got light. You didn't run into a still at night. It was too easy to slip up on them after dark. And they did their still in the daytime. And when they would put out a picket out to watch, to see if somebody was coming by. It's much easier to see if somebody had located your still and you were going to end up having to defend it in the daytime than it was at night. Now, whoever was on watch, he was called the squirrel hunter. And if he saw anything, he'd shoot a rifle and saying he was shooting at a squirrel and everybody would take off. Now, the three men stayed with that still way up until the afternoon and nobody came by to start it up so tired of waiting they just destroyed it and started back out of the woods sheriff bailey says we had to come right by massey's house and that's where they separated mr farmer who's now like i said one of bailey's deputies was going up the creek towards his house the sheriff and his other deputy was heading down the road they hadn't gone very far when they heard a gunshot. The two men assumed that since Farmer was walking that way and he had a shotgun, that he must have seen a snake or a squirrel and shot it. When they got to their car, somebody came running up from down below the road and told them that Deputy Farmer had been killed. Sheriff Bailey located some more deputies and they rounded up Doyle and Jesse again. Both of them were tried 
in the same court for killing different men. Doyle for killing Little Harrison Roberts and Jesse for killing Lorenzo Farmer. Jesse's case ended in a mistrial, but Doyle was convicted and appealed. Jesse Massey was retried in the next term of court where he was convicted. Jesse got 30 years and Doyle got 25. Jesse stayed in prison 15 years and contacted uh, TB and was paroled and he went back up on Big Pine where he passed away up there. Doyle escaped two or three times. One time he was caught in Texas. One time he was caught in New Mexico. He was later paroled and went back to moonshining with a gentleman by the name of Barry Dockery, another parolee who lived in the Doe Branch section. Massey and Doyle ended up having a falling out over business opportunities, and Dockery ended up shooting and killing Doyle in 1939. Dockery being the great-grandfather of my best man at my wedding. Now, Sheriff Bailey did know the value of good publicity, and he capitalized it on it as much as he possibly could. His term of sheriff expired in 1922, and the day his successor was being sworn in, Bailey, along with another deputy and a federal probation officer, W.C. Rector, captured a couple of stills not too far from Hot Springs near the Tennessee state line. Now, he would say that dry people had elected me the day after his opponent was sworn in. The Asheville Citizen Times carried the main page story talking about the event, barely mentioning the new sheriff. The headlines reading, Sheriff Bailey of Madison is busy capturing blockaders as successor is being sworn in. The story quoted Bailey as saying, I went in and running them and I came out of running them. Now, enforcing the law was at best a rugged job in those days, especially in the mountains in counties like Madison, where ridge runners had plenty of ridges to run on. And that fierce mountain independence was deep, was deeply ingrained into the people. There were enough who still believed in setting their own difficulties to complicate things for a lawman. Bailey often said, I like the officer's work. I wouldn't like it now, though. It's changed too much. His quote is, when you go after a fellow with a warrant, now you've got to take a baby Ruth candy bar with you in your pocket. And when you catch him, you got to say, excuse me, sir, but I have a warrant for your arrest. I also have a candy bar for you, which you can eat while I go find your lawyer. Don't tell me nothing and don't tell nobody else nothing till you talk to your lawyer. Now, that's a quote from an interview that Jesse James Bailey, former sheriff at that time, did. In my day, he continued, you went up to a man and knocked him down. And when he got up, you said, I've got a warrant for you. You're under arrest. You couldn't mollycoddle them fellers if you wanted to stay a sheriff long, he said. From 1923, when he moved to Asheville until his retirement in 1958, Bailey worked as a Southern Railway detective and actually was chief of detectives in the Asheville division for many, many years. 
He had five people underneath him, and they had all kinds of crime involving uh, close to five, six hundred miles of railroad track. And they had jurisdiction wherever those tracks went. He worked from Asheville to Murphy to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and Salisbury. Bailey would say that he didn't have a lot of education, but he did have experience. He said he got that experience through the hammer and tong route, referring to blacksmithing, but he had enough experience to beat Sheriff Lawrence Brown of Buncombe County in 1928 and becoming sheriff of another county uh, for two more years. Bailey has said that being sheriff wasn't as good a job as he had with the railroad, and he didn't make as much money. And he really didn't figure he had a chance of winning that particular election, but ran anyway as a friend, of, as a favor to some friends. And he ended up winning. He won following the Republican landslide that centered around Herbert Hoover's defeat of Al Smith. Smith was in favor of the repeal of Prohibition, and Hoover was considered a dry candidate or a non-drinker. Bailey was able to get a two-year leave of absence from the railroad and put in his time for two years as sheriff. He spent his first 15 days in office in the old courthouse in Buncombe County. Then he moved into the brand new Buncombe County Courthouse and was the first sheriff to serve there. That building's still standing today and still operational as a courthouse. In his first four weeks as sheriff in Buncombe County, Sheriff Bailey and his deputies seized 12 stills, three automobiles, 137 gallons of whiskey, and 800 gallons of beer. And all his time that he was a sheriff, he was only wounded once when he was shot in the hand during a raid while he was working as sheriff in Buncombe County. After his term of sheriff has expired in 1930, he returned to Southern Railway as a captain with their investigation unit until about 1935 when he went to Greensboro as a division special agent. And in 1940, he came back to the Asheville area, where, after he retired in 1958. After he did retire, Bailey was in high demand as an after-dinner speaker, storyteller, and basically a comedian to hear the information on him. Bailey also wore a stick pin that was given to him in 1921 by Miss Bessie Safford, owner of the Mountain Park Hotel in Hot Springs, one of the most famous hotelleries and locations in the United States in its day. She was the widow of President Andrew Johnson's son, and she had brought the pen back from Egypt on a trip there she made in 1890. The pen has a stone carved to represent a scarab beetle, a sacred insect of Egypt, and it also represented historic deeds of bravery and courage. The stone was framed by two golden snakes, which denoted authority by law. Miss Safford also said she gave the stone to Bailey in appreciation of his splendid work for the right, or the right thing. And that's what Jesse James Bailey stood for all his life, 
doing the right thing. Fortunately for us, Sheriff Bailey did live long enough for some of his stories and adventures to be recorded. Now, I've located three of those interviews where you can hear in his own words and voice some of his exploits and what it was like to be a sheriff in the 1920s in North Carolina. The interviews recorded were conducted by mountain musician David Holt, a fantastic guy and very talented musician. So without further ado, I give you an interview with Sheriff Jesse James Bailey. Victoria, go ahead and play the file. Today we have with us Jesse James Bailey. He's the only man in the state of North Carolina to be sheriff of two counties. Here he is right here. Look at that pretty badge, folks. That's a solid gold badge. How you doing, Mr. Bailey? Well, I'm uh, getting on pretty good. I'm not sick. Well, that's pretty I'm good. I'm just old. L let's see if these kids out there can guess how old you are. Take a guess, kids. <laughs> now, he drove down here in his own car, walked all the stairs down here. How old are you? Finally, it's the 14th day of next month, I'll be 90. All right, 90 years old. That's pretty good. Born in 1888. I've been in a racket ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I love feuds. You rackets. love feuds? Yeah. Well, I'm Madison County. He was sheriff of Madison County during the time when they had prohibition. Now, that's when people were making moonshine and they didn't, and it was illegal. Tell us about a time maybe when. Uh, you had to tell some big old lie to get one of the moonshiners in there. Well, let's see now. About the uh, biggest lie I ever told in my life to try to dupe a fella into uh, on to my side. Well, I believe I got a letter from you know, sheriff always gets anonymous information. You get lots of anonymous letters and say they are running a still on the Jack's branch in such and such a place, and that is the case in this instance. Got a letter from Paint Rock, North Carolina, that says uh, they're running a still on uh, Jack's Branch. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, I caught the train. There wasn't no automobiles them days. Only five in Madison County and two taxis. That's seven cars in the entire county. But anyhow, I caught this morning train, went down to Paint Rock. That's about 30 miles from Marshall, the county seat. And I got down there about 8.30, and uh, I got a couple of little debits I had there in, in Paint Rock, and we went across the river there in a boat, canoe we'll call it, and to find the Jack's Branch. Well, we hunted and hunted and hunted, and we couldn't find the Jack's Branch, much less than the still. And the letter said that Lum Gawson was running the still on the Jack's Branch uh, near the Tennessee line. Joint Tennessee right there, you know, Green County. But anyhow, we uh, bumbled around there in the mountains and we didn't find nothing. And I had to get back to a paint rock by two o'clock to catch my train back to Marshall. So um, we give up in despair and went on over by old man Lum's house. As uh, a young man there, uh, of the name of Boney Gosnell. I'll never forget him. He's dead now. And uh, I loved him uh, because he'd done me a favor. <laughs> and uh, I told Boney, I says, uh, we've got your daddy arrested over the hill over here. I caught him in the still over there on Jack's Branch a while ago, and then two of my men's taken him over to 
Pete Rock to take him up to Marshall on uh, number 12. And I says, he sent me over here, and me and these two men, to tell you to tell us where his liquor was. He wants to get out of this thing. He's going to he's gonna quit moonshine, and we're going to help get him out, and so and so. I gave him a pretty good line, you know, to be an ignorant mountaineer, as I was myself. But this boy just went all to pieces. We don't know him. We don't know nothing about no liquor. Well, Pop's got no liquor here. And I gave him a big smile and turned around and started to walk away like I was going to paint rock, you know, to catch my train back. So uh, <clears throat> uh, he seen that I was serious or thought I was. And he said, did Pop tell you that? I says, he sure did. And I seen you coming my way then. He said, well, if Pop told you that, says there's 35 gallons right over yonder behind that log where that stove wood's piled up. I said, let's go get it. We went out there, got that 35 gallons of liquor in fruit jars. They had it buried in the leaves, you know. Wasn't in the case. And in tow sacks. I poured that liquor all out. I couldn't carry it, you know, to Paint Rock, about two miles over there, and that's Cross River. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> we poured it all out. We got it all poured out, and I gave him back the empty fruit jars and everything. And I looked at him with as good a smile as I could, and I said, Son, I hate to tell you this, but uh, I just told you a big lie. I says, I ain't seen you, Daddy. I can't find him. <laughs> Old Boda says, I sure did play hell, didn't I? I said, no, you ain't, you're all right. I says, I'm not going to arrest you at all. You just go on your way. And I didn't arrest him. I couldn't have the heart to after I told him that big lie, you know. <laughs> and that's about the biggest lie I believe I ever told to catch a man. Well, that's pretty good. And, uh, well, uh, Now, you folks come back next week, and you can hear about a big lie that an old moonshiner told Jesse James Bailey. Yeah, See they you then. told me something about as big as that or bigger. That's where I learned to tell them from the moonshiners. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for playing that, Victoria. And thank you for listening and tuning in to this episode of Felon File. If you'd like more information or drop me a line or Victoria line, you can reach us at felonfile.com or felonfile at gmail.com, our email address. And also, you can check us out at scottlunsfordauthor.com, where you can find out some information on how to get some of my books, fiction and nonfiction works that are available out there. Be happy for you guys to have them. If you'd like to make a quick donation of some sort to the Felon File podcast to help us uh, navigate some of the costs of the research that we do. You can find that information also on felonfile.com. We appreciate you guys coming back and listening. We appreciate our listeners who make contact with us from other parts of the world who enjoy hearing about our stories. That's it for this podcast. Remember, in the coming weeks, try your best to be safe and be secure if you have the opportunity, don't forget to do something nice for somebody. It's really the right thing to do, and it helps everybody out. Okay, Victoria, go ahead and close us out. We'll talk to you guys next Saturday with another 
episode of Felon File. Bye, y'all. This has been The Felon File, a discussion on law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and other parts of the world. For more information, you can go to felonfile.com or scotlunsfordauthor.com. Here you can find links to Scott and Num books and other information. You can also email us at felonfile at gmail.com. There are also t-shirts and mugs available. You can also buy us a cup of coffee or help purchase some of the research material and expenses it takes to do felon file. Click on the coffee image on the web page to do so. This is Victoria your producer thank you for listening. Have a good one.